Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features Basil Kincaid, an American artist who honors and evolves traditional practices through quilting, collaging, photography, installation, and performance. Implementing materials vested with emotional and memorial content, he allows these mediums to function as spiritual technology that forward various wisdoms born from Basil's greatest values, family, imagination, rest, and experience. He has exhibited works with Hauser & Wirth, Mindy Solomon, Kravitz Webby, Kavi Gupta, and many others. In 2021, Basil became a United States Artist Fellow and joined the collection of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. In 2022, he exhibited new quilt works in both the Legacy Russell Curated Show, The New Bend, at Hauser & Wirth's New York and Los Angeles locations. He opened 2023 with Dancing the Wind Walk, a semi-permanent fabric monument doing Freeze LA with the support from the Art Production Fund. Before the end of 2023, he will reveal a new quilt as part of The Threads We Follow at the Southeastern Center for Contemporary Art at the North Carolina Museum of Art. And he will also have a solo exhibition, Spirit in the Gift, at the Rebel Museum, where he was the 2023 Artist in Residence. Basil has been awarded the Great Rivers Biennial Prize and will have a solo exhibition at the Contemporary Art Museum, St. Louis, in the fall of 2024. Please visit CerebralWomen.com for his expanded bio and enjoy this episode featuring Basil Kincaid. Basil, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yes, it is. When did you discover your artistic passion? As a small child, drawing was how I had fun. I grew up drawing in church. I was drawing at home. Some kids have their different quiet time activities, and that was mine. And I had fun making art and a passion for art even before I knew really what art was. You know, my mom said I started really drawing avidly at the age of three and never stopped. <laughs> How would you define your practice? I will say what it does for me, but I don't always typically try to define it and contain it. But I feel like for me, the purpose of making art 
is to better understand myself in the world and the world around me and to connect with people. And sometimes the empowering thing about art is that you can make a hyper specific piece of art that's like specific to an, an emotional state or a moment or memory or feeling, and it'll impact somebody somewhere. These small feelings that you think are just yours are these universal elements. For me, my practice is where I experience the most freedom and a lot of joy and making art, I feel like makes me smarter. And so, yeah, it does a lot of things for me and it helps me in a lot of ways, but I don't always try to define it. It's like my brother says that I'm the, I don't make art, that I am the art. And I kind of, I relate to that in the sense that this is my whole life. Are your memories reflected in your work? Yes, my memories are reflected. A lot of the work that I make throughout my life has been a way to capture memory and emotions and sensations. You can look at the quilts as containers for memory, and I can elaborate on the, the nature of fabric in that sense. But also, at, in the earlier stages, drawing is what helped me remember. Like if I draw a picture of a friend or if I draw a picture of a place, I'll remember that face or that place like way more vividly than if I just took a picture. And so a lot of the times drawing and writing are ways for me to evade the faulty nature of my own memory and to elongate some sensations. And then fabric in the quilt, fabric quilt making started in this way of repurposing what was still usable out of materials from your loved ones. So, you know, the good part of a shirt, the good part of a dress, the good part of a pair of pants that have been worn down. And so each of those pieces of material contain different memories, like all the memories that person had wearing that particular thing. And then coming together, it's I'm very interested in the memorial content within quilts. Memory is a big part of my quilt making and a big part of like the conceptual side of my art making practice as well. While you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? I do not. I'm sure some artists do, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like it always started as something that I do for me. And I, I derive a lot of joy from connecting with people around what my art can do for them or what it reminds them of or what it evokes inside of them emotionally. But the audience is always an afterthought for me. I mean, in many ways, the objects, the art objects are like residue. The moments of creation, to me, that's the real art. And that's something that is like, healing for me or messages are moving through me. You know, the art that makes it to the wall, I'm overflowing with gratitude that people love it and enjoy it, but maybe that part is for them. But the part that I'm focused on most of the time is the sensations within the process of making. And that part is really for me. So I don't really go into making art thinking about the audience. What do you enjoy most about your practice? That it exists. Um, I, I love that this is my life and that I get to live my life in like a sensitive way. Like by nature of being an artist, it's like my life revolves a lot around observation and being supple and present in moments. And so I feel like by being an artist, I get to live a life that's really engaged and stimulating and 
liberating. And then like for me, it's <laughs> I get to do the thing that I always loved most as a kid. Like I get to it's such a rare blessing to be able to like make your dreams, make the things that you imagine a reality. That was the fun part as a kid. And it elevated over time, like all these repetitions to the point where I'm like, the life that I was imagining became real, not just the images I was imagining. That's just a really special thing that like art can help you create reality and shift reality. Do you listen to music while you're working? Sometimes I do. Um, I go through different periods. Like sometimes I really enjoy just silence. I like the sound of the machines and when I'm in Ghana, like just the sounds of outside and the different <laughs> animal noises that may happen and languages I may be hearing. And so there's like the music of life. I do listen to music and sometimes also I'll be watching cartoons or I just recently started listening to more podcasts. So I want to go back through your library and Dario, the, the Institute of Black Imagination podcast. I started listening to that. But yeah, in the very beginning of my quilt making, I watched a lot of old movies on VHS while I made my art because I would collect the VHS tapes and the sewing list can be so tedious sometimes, like monotonous sometimes. I just would have an old movie marathon, put it all in the old movie. <laughs> so throughout the movie nonstop, take a little break at the end and rinse and repeat. And then sometimes I'll listen to the same song on repeat. And it may be different songs at different times, but yeah. So there's different moods in there. Short answer, yes, but it's not music all the time. And sometimes I do just really enjoy silence. Like some of my friends make fun of me because I'll go to the gym with no music tools, you know, so the gym, the studio, it's sometimes music, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. When do you know work is finished? For me, it's like a good meal. You can be enjoying a really great meal, the preparation, you sit down, you're eating it. And at some point, you know, you're full. And <laughs> sometimes you can choose to stuff yourself, but you kind of know when you've had enough. Also, too, like the nature of it being a career, like sometimes you have deadlines, you just have to know when to pinch it off. Sometimes I'll see pieces of art and it's like the art is evolving in the same ways that we are and we continue to evolve over time. So like I'll make a piece of art. I may see it again three, four five years later and I may notice things that I could potentially continue. But it's like I could also just make a new piece of art. So at some point you just, a lot of my art is like intuition and sensation and like feeling based, especially the process of it. So I don't know. I just, I have a different set of sensations and I get a feeling and the composition feels right. And the textures and colors feel right. And there is a thing of like touching it too much too, especially with drawing. It's being aware of when you've done just enough lines. Cause you can just like a meal, you can overcook it. <laughs> That's how it relates for me. I just, a lot of it is like being present with it. And it's like, when it's done, you know, it's done. If you weren't a visual artist, what other career path do you think you would have chosen? As a kid, I always, I mean, I still do like poetry a lot. And as a kid, I used to joke with my mom that I was going to become a rapper, <laughs> but you know, I, I did drawing even more than rapping, even though I used to do that. But I jumped to with my friends because if I wasn't a 
an artist. Like this lifetime, this time around, I know that this is what I was meant to do, this and maybe farming. But I joke that if I wasn't an artist, I'd be an international art thief. For a little while anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if you end up being the best, I know, so one thing about me is like whatever I do, I want to do my best at it. And there's some art thieves out there that no one knows who they are. And they're just enjoying their collections and living with a high level of freedom. Huh, so, interesting. But that's just a joke. I, I know that I'm doing what I'm meant to do. The other thing I do feel drawn to that I'm like gradually learning more about, and that's also a part of my family tradition is farming. And I know that that may be part of my late, what will be a part of my later life. So maybe if I wasn't an artist, I could, I would have been a farmer or a hermit tucked off in some hillside. <laughs> Still, I guess, making my art, but not trying to make money off of it. So what does your workplace look and feel like? Um, now that I have a team, it looks great. Left to my own devices, I was always navigating these messes of my own design. It was like an ordered chaos. And now I have a drawing room with a sweet drafting table. And even though I have everything set up in a really perfectly stationed way, sometimes I still do break out the crayons and just draw on the floor. My Ghana studio is probably around 3,000 square feet. It's four big spaces that are dedicated for different tasks. There's like a sewing room that's like for the patchwork of the quilt, which is basically like the underpainting when I do the figurative compositions. Then there's a room for embroidery, a room we normally do for hand sewing and like laying out compositions. And then I have another drawing room in Ghana that's like where we display finished works and I can contemplate and document them and where I do my drawing and writing. And then at home, it's like I have my drawing room in St. Louis. I have my drawing room and my little art library. And it's more thinking and reading and drawing and not as much like heavy duty making. I will collect materials though. And when I go back to Ghana, use things that I've collected. So there's two different main studios with one is heavy on like art production and the other is heavy on ideation and planning and does doing the preparatory sketches and studies and drawings for my embroidery and whatnot. Now everything is nice and clean and orderly. Everything has its place. And so how does it look and feel? It looks awesome and it feels great. <laughs> <laughs> so how has your practice changed over the years? So this question, we could sit here and talk for days. Like, I mean, like, is this like an eight hour podcast? Well, I'll go generally through the major phases of my progression and then we can talk more in depth about this most contemporary time period. But, you know, like we've briefly said before, I grew up drawing. College, I started painting, oil painting and bookbinding. And then after college is when I started working with found materials and became interested in finding things in my daily life and looking at how waste is reflective of lived experience, like, like the things that we discard, what do they say about, about the way that we lived? Then I went through a period where I well, it was really only a year, but where I was teaching middle school art, but that had a profound impact on my art making practice. Like it was really a defining moment on what I need to be doing with my life and the amount of art I need to be making for my <laughs> mental, spiritual, emotional well-being. Um, 
at any rate, that time period, my students watching them inspired me to develop my collage technique. And then my first time in Ghana, I was working with found material that I've collected on the street. But that time period encouraged me to dive deeper into my family history and studying more about what creative practices were a part of my familial tradition. And so that research led me to the knowledge around the generational quilt making in my family. I got a, I have an aunt that's doing a lot of research on reconnecting as much of our family tree as possible and realized that there's an unbroken link of quilters. And when I noticed that, I was like, not on my watch will this chain break. And then within each of those formal subsets, collage, painting, quilt making, collecting and make, making objects, all of those different pillars have had development within each subset as well. Like I still draw, I'm actually like drawing right now while we talk because it helps me focus. And even the quilt making has in the last seven years that I've been doing it evolved dramatically. And I think part of it is that I just have a thirst for learning and evolving and growing and progression. But like you look at my early quilts and they were abstract soft sculpture that was informed by the tradition of quilt making and used a lot of quilt making techniques, but also broke a lot of the traditional rules of what a quilt is structurally. Now my pieces are technically sound quilts that are much more heavily influenced by the canon of painting and will be situated more as paintings than wall hanging soft sculpture, even though they are three-dimensional and becoming ever more three-dimensional. They operate like low relief sculpture, but they read as paintings. The quilt has gone through probably four or five evolutions. And within, at some interval, and right now this is happening, I look back at each of those stages and say, okay, what can I learn from each of these ways of making? And how can I take the best of each of those time periods and create a new style? And so that's what I'm in this period of doing now is like reassessing my steps. And that's what I do in St. Louis. Like I look back over what I've made. I reassess my steps. I look at what, what I could do better. It's like an athlete that's reviewing tape. Like I look at where I made mistakes. I look at what I could do better. And then I make some new art that's informed by all the other stuff I've been making. And so, you know, the drawing, it's, I still practice my fundamental skills, but I also draw from my imagination. And that has evolved over time. Like I look at my drawings now, I'm, I'm like, the childhood version of me would have jumped up, would have, <laughs> would be so excited to be able to draw like this. So with drawing, I enjoy how it's, there's an element of skill involved with drawing in particular, where it's like, you can tell when you're getting better. Other forms of art, it's more sensational where it's okay. This feels closer to what I was trying to convey feeling emotives or was spiritually or whatever. But yeah, I, it's like the gym. It's, I enjoy getting stronger. I enjoy progressing and I feel like I've gone through infinite developments and I'll go through another infinity of developments because I'll continue making art and, until I expire. Do you feel black art can be defined? 
I do not. I feel like you can make attempts, but any types of definition is like it's trying to define outer space. It's infinitely expanding. And every time you define part of it, you're leaving out part of it. And so I think rather than trying to define black art, I think it's beautiful to observe all of the multitude and majesty of its expanse, like all the different black artists making all these different types of art. Nobody would say, can you define white art? Or I haven't heard anybody speaking in those terms. I think we have our own vast art history that will continue to expand. There will be intergalactic libraries of black art. So I think definitions end up being faulty containers every time. So I think it's beautiful to have platforms like this where we can talk about it and observe it and not necessarily need to contain it, let it be infinitely free. How do you keep learning? Um, I mean, I think that's the nature of life is to continue learning. I'm learning from every, from people around me, from my friends, from my family. I learn from books. I learn from experience. I learn from traveling. I do dedicated research time in the same way that I dedicate time to the gym. I spend time with my art books and I'm (laughs) like a maniac when it comes to making art. It's like I'm a can't not make art. It's like I'm making art of some kind all the time. Man, I learn from like my past iterations of myself. I learn from my parents tremendously. My brother, I learned so much from him. I have some really great artist friends that I continue to learn from at every turn. Every time we talk, I, I feel like I'm learning something new. I'm lucky to be surrounded by a team of really powerful and thoughtful women that teach me so much. Julia, my mom, Rhoda. So I've been blessed to be around a lot of brilliant people. So I feel like I'm learning at every turn and learning is what makes life fun. It's like, that's part of the fun of it. It's like having new experiences and growing and changing and being better than you were before. And just evolving. I feel like all of that is part of learning in different ways. And I feel like there's a lot of different intelligences that are valuable. Whereas a lot of the time I, I feel like in art history or within what I've been able to observe with the canon, this conceptual intellectual, like the, the type of like uh, academic intelligence is maybe more valued than emotional and spiritual and sensational intuition type intelligence, which I, which I think that's where a lot of the art magic of art making comes from these intelligences that have nothing to do with cognitive thinking and using your conscious mind. I feel like a lot of our tapping into our subconscious happens in the trance states within art making. I've enjoyed this interview, and this is the last question. Uh, as a visual artist, how do you want to impact humanity? Okay, this is a good one. Um, hmm. I think my goal is to, goal may be the wrong word, maybe my role in all of this maybe is to, I get emotional thinking about it, is to share this deep gratitude. More than anything, I'm thankful. And I think gratitude unlocks a lot of magical potential. I think art making opens our eyes to alternate potentials for the way 
reality could be, the way we can interact with each other. And so I think my role in all of this is to convey these messages that I receive through my lens. And hopefully they can be received in a way that helps people like focus on joy and rest. And it's going to sound corny, but loving each other, even when it's difficult. And sometimes to me, that love is like going an extra step to understand when something is outside of your typical realm of experience or perception or the paradigms that you've been, your mind that has been constructed under. So I think art can open us up to each other. Over time, we'll have a more beautiful, harmonious experience on earth. Some of my art too, you know, like this is part of my family history is just connecting with the earth, being one with the earth. But I, I think if we connect with our spiritual life and each other and the earth, our experience on this planet for the time that we're here will be better collectively. I agree. Sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional on that one. I don't like, but <laughs> I do feel like this is my life purpose and it means a lot. It's, I'm not sad. It's just, hey, it just, art will it just, save us, right? Yeah, I get overflowing. Maybe art won't save us by itself, but I feel like it's a piece of it. You know, yes. it's, it's definitely, definitely a, a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.